You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Everything you look at is a risk-reward, right? So if you only look at the reward, I can come up with half a dozen uh, good commodities. But if you look at the risk-reward, it strikes me that gold is far away a superior investment today. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning in. Well, as we conclude 2019, we're going to be hearing in this episode from Natural Resource Fund Manager and Statesman of the Mining Investment Sector, Adrian Day. But first, I'd like to thank Trilogy Metals for sponsoring this show. There's a coming supply crunch in copper that's being anticipated by many analysts, and there is not enough quality copper projects to meet this increasing copper demand that's quickly on the horizon. Therefore, investing in quality copper projects could prove to be a very profitable investments in the coming year. Trilogy Metals is a cashed up copper dominant polymetallic developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District and their world-class projects are being developed by an experienced and previously successful management team. Recently the company received $145 million US from Australian miner South32 to form a 50-50 joint venture to advance its projects. To learn more go to trilogymetals.com and you can find the company under the ticker TMQ in Toronto and New York. With that being said, Adrian, welcome back to Mining Stock Education. And this year, we've seen over $30 billion worth of M&A already. Last year, we only saw about just a little under $11 billion. And in the, at the high, the peak in 2010, we saw about $25.7 billion worth of M&A. Uh, when you observe all this M&A activity in, this, in the gold sector, what do you think it speaks to uh, regarding where we are in the gold cycle? Well, thanks for having me, Bill. Um, uh, I think your word describing me as a statesman is that code for old? <laughs> but, <laughs> Highly respected. <but> I, <laughs> I appreciate it, Bill. Um, so, to answer your question, um, I think the main thing it speaks to is what analysts of the gold mining business have been saying for many years now, and that is that there is a shortage of gold. Uh, a shortage of good, high-quality, reasonably large projects. And the big mining companies that have many, many problems um, face this additional problem of reserve depletion, obviously. Uh, you know, a mine is a depleting asset. You, you dig an ounce out of the ground, or the ounce doesn't just replicate itself. You have to add an ounce and so the big mining companies, a company like Barrick or Newmont is producing 5 million ounces or 7 million ounces a year. They have to find 5 or 7 million ounces, more than that really, because you don't mine every ounce you find. They have to find 5 or 7 million ounces every single year. That is, to all intents and purposes, impossible. And so to replace those ounces that they mine, they have turned to M&A, whether it's acquiring companies or whether in the case of Barrick, it's merging with another company. But that's the only way these companies can stay where they are, little and grow. I mean, we can look at we can look at, at numbers and, you know, I think a lot of people have, have seen these numbers. But in the 90s, um, in the 1990s, for example, we were finding an average of 100 million ounces 
um, a year. This was new discoveries, right? New discoveries, 100 million ounces a year. And it ranged from 70 to 140. But 100 was about the average. You look at the last 10 years, and we are finding around 25 million ounces a year. And some years are considerably, considerably less than that. And that's despite the uh, budgets for looking for gold deposits has gone up significantly from the 1990s. So even though we're spending a lot more money looking, we are finding a lot less. And in particular, we are finding far, far fewer of the 3 million, 5 million plus ounce deposits that companies like Barrick or Newmont really want. You know, Newmont is not going to bother buying a 100,000 ounce deposit, however good it is. So they need, bar- uh, for, for Newmont, 5 million ounces is their cutoff. Some years in the last decade, there hasn't been a single deposit that size. And there certainly are not enough uh, of the three to five million ounce plus deposits to go around all of the big companies. So again, they turn to um, they turn to acquisitions. With those stats you mentioned, you wouldn't be a believer in peak gold, though, right? Well, peak gold is an emotive term, isn't it? And there are a lot of emotive terms around these days, including Brexit. Um, I think when I talk about when I, when when I use the word when I if, if, if by peak gold, we simply mean that production of new gold has probably hit a high for the next several years and the next several years until either the price is meaningfully higher or a multiple of where it is now or new technologies come along, then yes, I would say we've hit peak gold. But if by peak gold, we mean we're never going to find any more of it, and it's just, you know, on its way to depletion. No, I don't believe that at all. You know, new technologies will come along. As we know, there's gold under the seabed. There's gold in the asteroids, um, et cetera. So, but these, are, these require new technologies to be really, really viable. I certainly think we have hit the high of production uh, for the next several years, and if you look at the if you look at the overlay discoveries from the late 90s and early 2000s, overlay those discoveries with the production today, last year, the year before, and then look at how uh, how discoveries went down over the next several years. I think it's not unreasonable to to, to think that gold production is going to decline let's say over the next four or five years. It's not going to drop off a cliff, but it's going to decline. When you look at the action and the goals of the major gold miners, do you think that they are trying to compete with the major ETFs in order to draw generalist investors back to this sector? Well, I think, I think that's, always a, that's always something uh, in, in the mind. Because there's no question that the ETFs have, have drawn a lot of the investment dollars, particularly from generalists. They've drawn a lot of the investment dollars away from the sector. But, but you know, just look at it from the point of a view of a generalist. You know, a money manager, let's say, who doesn't know much about gold. He, he knows a bit about gold, money, and all that kind of stuff, but he doesn't know much about the investment space. And he says to himself, you know what? I think I should buy some gold stocks. How about Barrick? That's the largest in the world. And he looks at the price 
of Barrick, or sorry, I'm, I've got Newmont up on the screen. We'll go back to Barrick in a second. He looks at the price of Newmont, and he says it's under $43. Oh, my gosh. It was $75 just five years ago. What's happening? Oh, my gosh. In 1987, it was higher than it is today. And he says to himself, why am I buying this company? Why am I buying this stock? It's been a disaster for many, 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 many years. Um, now, of course, you and I and everybody listening to this, presumably, we realize that, that the gold market is exceptionally volatile and you shouldn't be looking at buying gold stocks and holding them for, for, for 50 years or, or 40 years in this case. But, but nonetheless, for a generalist to see that the gold stocks really haven't been great performers, he says, well, let's just buy the GDX instead. Now, of course, if you buy the GDX, you get Barrick and Newmont and all the other things that you don't want to buy individually, you get them all in a basket. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really change the, um, the methodology. But he, the generalist doesn't see anything about individual companies to really attract him. Um, and I think what we're seeing what we are seeing in the gold industry, what we've seen in the last few years, is a new focus on cash flow and profits as opposed to size and just getting bigger for bigger sake. And, and we've also seen much more discipline in acquisitions. So I think part of this has been, we, we had a lot of, in 2012, 13, 14, we had a lot of CEOs get fired. Um, and the biggest problem in a, in, a, in a cyclical industry, which gold mining is, and nothing is going to change that. It's a cyclical industry. The biggest problem is acting in a counter-cyclical manner. And too many of the gold mining companies, far too many, um, in fact, most of the big miners, with very few exceptions, act with the cycles rather than against the cycles. So you have the case of Barrick, um, you know, that did all his hedging in 2005-06, and then in 11-12, they bought back all their hedges, um, took on debt to make new acquisitions, um, and, and then, of course, five years later, they're in the process of, um, uh, you know, uh, trying to trying to pay down the debt. Very few companies. So that's acting completely in line with the cycles. If you look at a company like Franco Nevada, for example, in 11, 12, 13 and 14, they didn't make a single acquisition. Maybe 14. I'm not sure about. But certainly 11, 12, 13 when gold was over $1,800. They didn't make a single acquisition, nor did they take on debt. When gold, when, when gold dropped at the end of 15 and 16, they actually took on debt for the first time in their history to make a large acquisition. And that is acting counter-cyclically, which is precisely what you need to do in this business. And so obviously, Obviously, people know that. It's not that the people running gold mining companies are stupid. They obviously know that, but they just get so much pressure from investors to invest. When gold's 1,700, 1,800, 1,900, hey, guys, you haven't made an acquisition lately. 
hey, you're not maximizing your balance sheet. Come on, you know, borrow some money and buy something. And they get pressure from the big, big investors, and some of them go out and do it. Um, anyway, I think, I think the mark, I think the industry has certainly realized that that is a cause of a lot of our problems. I mean, do you know 80% of the mines that were bought in 2011 12, 80% of them have now been written off, not written down, written off, total waste of shareholder money. And because of this kind of thing, nobody, of course, thought the bear market would go on and as long as it did, but nonetheless it did. And investors, larger investors, and, and particularly CEOs of the companies are, are, are talking about discipline in making acquisitions. And, and I think this is led by Mark Bristow, you know, the guy from Rangold, um, which uh, merged with Barrick and Bristow is running Barrick and you know he talks about a new discipline and he thinks for the larger companies no um, no premium no premium mergers is the wave of the future. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. Adrian, what do you think about Newmont Gold Corp and their $1 billion share buyback? What's the significance of that? Is that another one of this conservative, more disciplined approach you're talking about? I'm not sure I would describe that as more discipline because, you know, in, in the mining sector is a capital intensive industry. It always requires capital, right? And I honestly, I'm of the view that mining companies should be very circumspect about paying large dividends or, um, you know, doing share buybacks because that, that's capital that they have is now gone. And in a few years' time, they'll have to borrow money, um, you know, to to make an acquisition. I think in the case of Newmont, Newmont's management feels that Newmont's stock has simply lagged. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 very undervalued. I would argue there's reasons for that. It's very undervalued, and the stock has lagged. And so, with the balance sheet that they have. And with the dispositions that they're going to be able to affect from the merge with Gold Corp, I think they feel it's a good use of, of, of shareholder money to try to get the stock um, uh, boosted a little bit. Yeah, but I, I don't know that I would call that particularly disciplined. You mentioned Barrick CEO Mark Bristow, and he said that he only wants to hold assets that they can control 100% and they don't want assets or aren't as interested in assets that don't produce over a half million ounces of gold 
a year for at least 10 years. My question is, as junior mining speculators, when we're looking to developmental projects or late stage developmental projects, with this being his expectation, is there a downside, potential downside to investing in projects that don't fit the scale that this major miner is looking for? No, that's a good question. I think what we're going to, not really, because inevitably the smaller companies, the mid-tiers, let's call them, the mid-tier or intermediate producers and the smaller producers, they have much lower hurdles for, for making acquisitions. So, you know, a company that currently produces half a million a year would be quite happy adding a mine with 200,000 a year. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the hurdle rates for smaller companies are going to be smaller. I think what we're seeing at the moment is a couple of things. Barrick and Newmont, when they did their huge um, acquisitions last year, acquisitions last year, both of the companies said that they would make large dispositions, sales of, of marginal projects or projects that were marginal to them, um, talk, and talking about fairly large sums, $1.5 to $2 billion in acquisitions. So I think what's happening at the moment is that the intermediate-sized producers, you know, the Amanas, the B2s, I'm, I'm not saying B2 is going to buy something, but companies of that sort of, the sort of size are waiting to see what projects Barrick or Newmont are going to offer for sale at the moment, rather than go out and make other acquisitions among smaller companies. So for the moment, I think the acquisition of smaller companies or smaller projects is a little bit on hold. I mean, face it, if you're Yamana and there's a few projects of, of let's say, a barrack that appeal to you or former Gold Corp projects that appeal to you and think would fit in your portfolio, you really want to see if that's going to be made, if that's going to be made available for sale and what the price is. Uh, rather than go out and spend all of your um, all of your um, uh, 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 cash and and um, use up all of your line of credit on buying something smaller and then finding you know that you don't have the money available. So I think that the industries the, the companies are a little bit on hold at the moment, waiting for that. But but once that process is 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 finished, you, you know I I think we're going to see. Um, mid-tiers combine, and we're going to see mid-tiers, um, you know, buy some smaller projects, definitely. In a previous conversation with me earlier this year, uh, you said it makes sense for gold miners to merge when there are real synergies, and that was, uh, if I recall correctly, more in reference to the Nevada Gold Mines joint venture there in uh, Nevada. I'm curious to get your thoughts on Kirkland Lake buying of Detour Gold, where Kirkland <laughs> Lake is a high-grade producer, Detour is a low-grade bulk tonnage. Do you see synergies here, or does this make sense to you? That's an interesting question, and I don't have a dog in this fight. We own neither of the two companies. It is, I no, I would have to say, on the surface, it certainly doesn't. And not only, you know, you've got an underground mine and uh, uh, an open pit mine. That... It, it was obvious that Kirkland Lake was looking for something to buy, and they needed to buy something, and they want to buy something in a good jurisdiction that has long life, right? So that's what they want. Um, they would never find 
a large enough project with long life and a good jurisdiction, which had the same low cash costs that they already had. So everybody knew any acquisition was going to be uh, diluted for them on a cash cost basis. No question about that. Yeah, Detour was a strange one. And the market, I think, has has shown that, uh, you know, it um, is not overly impressed with it, let's say. Um, Because, you know, Detour, I mean, um, Kirkland stock has come off significantly and remains down since that acquisition was announced. So, yeah, if I were a Kirkland shareholder, I wouldn't be overly, overly impressed. When you're surveying the potential commodity investing opportunities, um, I know you're very bullish on gold and copper, and we have talked about those in the past. But are there any other uh, tertiary after those two metals, anything you're interested in right now? Well, if I said silver, that would be a little bit of a cop-out, right? Because I said <laughs> gold and silver together. <laughs> yes, a gold but junior. Silver, nonetheless. Yeah. And I, I would also have to say, you know, just to emphasize what you were saying in your introduction, about copper, you know, I, 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 I'm fully on board that thesis that um, over a five or six year period, we are we can see a shortage of, of, of copper projects ahead. Um, and, and that's true of copper even more than is true of gold, uh, in, in my view. And part of the reason for that is because the long lag time is typical for copper. Copper projects tend to be very large. We've talked a little bit today about 5 million ounce producers and half a million a year. I mean, 500, uh, 500, uh, 5 million ounce reserves and, you know, half a million ounce production a year. We've we talked about large projects, but let's not forget there's a lot of gold mines that are 100,000 ounces a year or something. Um, with, and, and those mines can typically, uh, but from, from discovery to production, might be uh, six or seven years. With the copper mines, copper mines tend to be much larger. And the time from discovery, because the the whole process of uh, development and building up the pounds takes a lot longer with copper than it does with gold, typically. And so from the initial discovery of a deposit to the time it's uh, producing is, is far longer, sometimes decades, sometimes decades. But at the very, very, very minimum, we can say that there is no meaningful copper deposit that will be producing in five years that we don't already know about and we can't put into our planning. It doesn't mean that every, it doesn't mean everything we know about today will be producing in five years. It just means that nothing will be producing in five years that we don't already know about. And we can see that even if all those projects, as anticipated, come into production, we can see there'll be a shortfall of copper. Um, So I'm very, very bullish on copper. Um, But your question was other things. You know, I think I think uranium, it's I think most of them is too soon, frankly. And, you know, everything in everything you look at is a risk reward, right? So if you only look at the reward, I can come up with half a dozen uh, good commodities. But if you look at the risk reward, it strikes me that gold is far away a superior investment today than the base metals. If we have, you know, a good trade deal with China and, uh, you know, Trump is able to, you know, well, he's not going to get it through this house, but Get a get another uh, the the tax reform part two, 
uh, enacted into law and the U.S. economy continues chugging along and so on and so on and so on, then the base metals can do well, no question. Um, but there's also scenarios where they will not do well, but gold will do well. So for me, gold is far and away uh, the superior risk reward um, at the moment and, and silver with it. But I think, you know, uranium will have its day. And, and the way we're playing uranium, frankly, is, is just picking away at companies when they're really cheap and we are not holding them for a long time. We're, we're just sort of trading them. Are you sticking with the producers more or the developers? The producers and the U.S. developers, because the U.S.-based ones may get a boost from whatever Trump's President Trump's um, commission decides. Um, you know, the plain, the plain fact is that, uh, that the administration simply couldn't impose some kind of meaningfully increased uh, requirement to buy U.S. production because there simply isn't enough of it. But I think they also, right, they couldn't do that. But there's a clear recognition that uranium is a strategic uh, uh, resource and that the U.S. does not produce enough of it. So I, th I think the administration will want to do something to boost U.S. production. Now, if that's a help to U.S. producers, the U.S. stocks will do well. If it's simply a hindrance to foreign uh, producers, that doesn't really help as much. So I don't know what's going to come out of it, but it's probably going to be beneficial to the U.S. exploration companies like USC, for example. Um, and, and when you can buy them when they're very, very cheap and you're patient and you get an opportunity, I think, this is probably a forward-looking statement that I'm not allowed by some regulator to say, but I think you'll get an opportunity over the next year, you know, to book a profit in those things. And it might be book a partial profit, which is sometimes what we do, and build up a position. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's time. I, th I think you can buy things like uranium, but you, there's no need to be particularly aggressive at this point. Adrian's website is adriandayassetmanagement.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with Adrian for his newsletter or his services, there's a contact page there. And it's again, the website is adriandayassetmanagement.com. Adrian, as always, thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too.
I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.